So there definitely is a link to the stuff that we accumulate over the years. The longer we have it, the more it becomes part of who we are. And actually what I like to say, rather than us owning this thing, it starts to own us now. Welcome to Unquestionable with your hosts, Charles Perry Phillips and Sophie Green, where each week we dive into real and raw conversations with experts, creators, thought leaders and CEOs. With our guests, we'll be exploring some of the unquestionable truths behind psychology, mental health and relationships to gain a deeper understanding of human nature. So let's get into today's episode. It is my real name, because Love It is a bit of a strange surname. <laughs> I've heard Love It a few times. Oh, well, love It by name, Love It by Well, there we <laughs> go. Yes. Love It or Lose It. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, that could be your motto. Oh, there you go. Love It or Lose It. There we go, that's right. what you should have named your book. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's the next one. That's the next it's one. It's the next one. The, uh, <laughs> the next one. There you go. You can have that one. It was yeah. never as bad as my dad, because my dad's name is Ian. So for how long he's grown up, I love it. <laughs> yes, I love it. yeah, yeah. I love it. That's I do. the way. Uh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> right, Let's well, stop now. <laughs> Chris, Chris, love it. Thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure. I'm really excited to chat to you about what you do because um, it's a it's a something I'm quite passionate about. I was going to say it's a cause close to my heart, but I don't know if cause is the right word. But it's it. it's a lifestyle yeah. that I've personally adopted many many years ago and I'm so passionate about other people also living in this way so you kind of specialize in would you say living minimalistically is that a word let's use that (laughs) yeah um I have got annoyed at trying to say minimalist all the time and having my teeth fall out or or spitting (laughs) everywhere so I'm going to just say simplicity simplicity and try and simplify people's kind of home and work life because now they're a little bit blurred Right. So, so yeah, that's where it comes from. So the, the simplicity and, and trying to focus on that less is more mm. mindset. I love that because actually I think simplicity is more apt for what you do. I think when people hear the word minimalism, they think of, you know, like a penthouse apartment with like one man that lives on his own. No furniture. Know, no furniture. Yeah. It's stark. Yeah. 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 Stark. No personality. No um you know like trinkets from the past and stuff you just have to throw everything away yeah um but actually it's not just about what your house looks like is it um but just going backwards a little bit do you want to just um for the listeners that don't know you talk a little bit about you your background how you got into this because it is a niche isn't it very (laughs) yeah very much so um I always like kind of telling people that I put my foot in it that's how I started and I actually generally did put my foot in it I had my my bare foot went straight into an empty CD case so I don't know if people remember CDs <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. yeah yeah got a few still at home. yeah yeah in <laughs> the loft I think right, we'll, uh, we'll touch on that yeah, yeah, later yeah. on yeah. um so I was organizing one weekend and I just had loads of stuff just hanging around my flat like DVDs and CDs and books and I hadn't really realised that I wasn't really watching or engaging with any of this stuff that I'd accumulated over the years and spent God knows how much money. And as I was getting more and more annoyed at all of the stuff around my house, I put my foot in my CD case, which made my foot bleed and caused me pain. And I was like, if my stuff is causing me pain, that's probably a little bit of a sign. And I thought, right, let's actually move the stuff off the floor and put it on shelves. But 
my shelves are already full with other stuff. Can I just say that? It's a very rational reaction to that. Because I think, have you ever done that? Like stubbed your toe or like got something caught as you're walking past and you just like lose it? Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I like to call it the Basil 40 effect. Yeah. <laughs> it's like every single episode of 40 Towers, the stacking of stuff, he just, just loses his mind. And so yeah. that was my almost like branch car moment yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, i was like that breaks the camel's back yeah that's <laughs> right and so i was like all right let's put this stuff away but i didn't have any more space to put stuff away and so i thought why don't i maybe sell it and so i downloaded music magpie the app that you scan the barcodes and i was like surely i've just got enough stuff here so i can just offload it and i started scanning some stuff and realized that it wasn't worth virtually anything like mm. you know you'd you'd scan a DVD of like the matrix and it'd be like, you can have 20 P for that. Yeah. <laughs> and then they want you to get up enough of the stuff to like, we'll give you five pounds for like all of your stuff. And so eventually I just went on a little bit of a tirade and I started scanning literally everything inside my house, anything that had a barcode on it. And by the end of the weekend, I had piles and piles of stuff that I was just willing to let go of. And in the end, I think it was like 156 pounds or something. So it wasn't a lot, but it meant that I didn't have to put my foot in any more of my stuff. Mm. Um, and at the same time, I was trying to save up to go traveling. And so I thought, well, actually, that 156 pounds could pay for maybe a flight or maybe my travel insurance or something else that would actually help me achieve the goal of going traveling. So actually, all of my stuff was kind of keeping me. Mm. wedded to the past or wedded mm. to the present rather than helping me move on and that's how it all started and I started looking around my flat going why have I got all of these cookbooks I've never used any of them why have I got all of this kitchenware I'm still not a better chef than I was before and mm. so it just accumulated and I started to let go of a lot of my physical stuff and the more I let go of it the more I realised I didn't really need a lot of stuff to enjoy the best bits of life all of that stuff, um, and as the story goes, I end up selling my car, my house, literally everything, quitting my job to wow. do the thing that I wanted to do, which was explore the world a little bit more. Mm, you went extreme. I think yeah. that's quite common <laughs> for people. You know, it's only when people are going travelling. Or well, for me, for example, was moving house. Yeah. I went through a phase where I, I was mo- You know, I went from place like temporary place to temporary place about yeah. ten times in a year or something, and I just got so sick of packing up everything and putting it in the car that I just threw everything away until I got to my final resting place and ended up with no belongings. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, this is lovely. But I don't think people tend to do that unless they have a catalyst, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like there's the motivation. Them. The motivation underneath that to let go of stuff, either I need more money or I need more space. I want to entertain a little bit more in my house and I'm a bit embarrassed I've got so much clutter everywhere. So, yeah, there is a motivation underneath all of that. I, you know, I had mine. My carrot was this kind of view of adventure mm. and my stuff was keeping me from that so the less stuff I had the more adventure I could achieve and that's what happened mm. that's how it all started wow and <laughs> since then you've now you know made a career out of it yeah yeah which is still bizarre to me I'm still trying to figure <laughs> that out but yeah so I came back from from traveling and, and as people know when you go traveling it changes you your view of the world changes and and so I came back and thought right I need to go back into the corporate world I need to go and live this way again and I was like well I can go back and but I can do it slightly differently so I had this less is more mindset because I'd achieved so much you know not just physically but 
mentally, like all of the ideas and stories that you carry around with you for years. Oh, I can't do this. I'm not good at that. I'm this type of person. I started to let them all go. Mm. And I was like, wow, I'm a more confident and more, uh, just a, a, a better version. And I had less stuff and mm. more money because um, I wasn't spending it on crap that I didn't need. Mm. Yeah. And so, all right, if I can take this mindset into other world, you know, other areas of of life and work, maybe that can help other people. And so um, my friend said, you should come to our HR day and tell your story about getting rid of stuff, you know, really help with people's well-being. And I was like, nah, I'm not, I'm not a speaker. I'm not, you know, I don't get on stage. And they went, we'll give you 150 pounds. I was like, all right, tell me when and where. <laughs> um, and so I did it. And after I did that kind of talk, I had a queue of people around the corner telling me their own story of what they were holding on to and what they wanted to achieve in life and how they couldn't achieve it because they were just holding on to stuff. Mm-hmm. And then that just led to more people engaging with me and I started writing some articles about it and then that same friend said, you should write a book. And obviously I went, nah, <laughs> I'm not an you know, I'm not a... a it's 150 author. quid. It's, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is probably a lot more than what I get. <laughs> yeah, my book yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so... But it was a story of the past that kept me from doing it, even though I thought, um, you know, I'm not a bad writer. And people said that there was they'd found enjoyment in in the words and stuff. But when I was at school, my my teacher said that I would never be able to write anything long form because I failed English literature. So I had that story from like 18, 19, all the way mm-hmm. to adulthood. And so eventually I let that go and wrote a book. And then it's just gone from kind of strength to strength now helping people in their home lives and, and their work lives now where my day job is a coach. You know, I help leaders be better human beings, basically. But it all stems from I don't have enough time and because people fill up their time with absolute crap. Mm. And so I help people really focus on what do you need to get done? What's the most important thing? Not in your work, but maybe in your life and maybe vice versa. And so that's what I do now. So, yeah. mm. it's interesting because you've t- touched on letting go quite a lot like so obviously like you talked about just then letting go of that um for want of a better word that kind of micro trauma around not feeling good enough yeah yeah um but then we've also talked about letting go of stuff yeah, yeah. and we as humans are generally not very good at letting go of stuff <laughs> um whether that's emotional stuff or physical stuff and yeah. i know i've got i was talking on the car up here like about my i've got two teenage boys yeah and there's stuff in the loft that they had when they were toddlers they will not let go of it you yeah. know because it has an emotional attachment yeah they won't let go of it or you won't let go of it they won't let go of it oh, i'm okay. happy to get rid of it <laughs> but no but sometimes that is the case yeah. people like parents as well find it difficult to get rid of stuff that's because it has this attachment to memories and and things that they enjoy yeah a, why do you think that's we find it so difficult to get rid of stuff? What you know, why are those emotional attachments so strong? And also, what are the first steps you can kind of start to make to let go of those things? Yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating, and there's a lot of psychology behind some of this. And I make light of it because I think it's easier for people to understand stories rather than let's mm. dig into the psychology of why you do what you do. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to tell you a story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And when I was decluttering and I was letting go of stuff, I found it incredibly difficult to let go of my football shirts. And so I'm a Chelsea fan. Um, 
kind of somewhat embarrassed to say that at the moment. But, you <laughs> know, worry, we'll edit that out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but over the years, I had basically bought a kit or at least one or two every season. So, you know, I look back and I've got reams and reams of home shirts, away shirts, all with names and numbers on the back. And what that did, that represented an identity. An identity that I was a Chelsea fan, that I was part of a tribe, so to speak, part of a community. And I thought, if I let go of these, does that mean that I'm not part of that community anymore? That I'm, I do, I relinquish that identity as a fan. And, you know, whilst holding these shirts, I was like, maybe, what am I doing here? Am I, you know, am I letting go of too much? And so I let go of some of them mm-hmm. as a test to see how I would feel. Two days later, I forgot that I even had them. So there definitely is a link to the stuff that we accumulate over the years. The longer we have it, the more it becomes part of who we are. And actually what I like to say, it, rather than us owning this thing, it starts to own us mm. now. And you look at, you know, my, my parents are a really good example. My mum's had cookbooks for decades. But could she ever get rid of them? No. You know, just in case she ever needs it <laughs> all that one day. And they're the two kind of areas that kind of tend to trick people up a little bit. Is there any, I might need it one day or just in case. I've had that so many times mm. when I've been clearing out my wardrobe. And um, my thing is that when something is out of fashion mm. or it doesn't fit me anymore, then my brain goes to... Yeah, but what if I go to a Halloween party one year yes, and I yeah. need to dress up as an 18-year-old girl, <laughs> you know, from the 90s or whatever. And um, and yeah, like it's it's almost fear-inducing really, isn't it, for yeah. people to either lose that identity. And we talk about identity a lot on, on Unquestionable, don't we? And people do attach so much to identity, you know, their belongings, their homes, where they live, who they're friends with, their political of beliefs, their religious beliefs, whatever it might be, and stripping anybody of any of that is really scary, isn't it? Oh, it's it's massive. Yeah, we you know generally we're not great with change, mm. and so whenever you start to look at things, you go, I can probably get rid of that. That's you're starting to change your your identity a little bit. You're starting to evolve, and you're evolving out of your comfort zone a little bit. And the further you step away from that, yes, it is going to become uncomfortable, but that's where stuff grows. Nothing grows in your comfort zone. Mm. So yeah, so it was it was fascinating. Once I really kind of dug into what I'd achieved, um, because at the time I just thought I was just selling stuff. But the more that I was kind of retelling that story, I was like, wow, there's something quite big has happened here. And let's capture that and let's connect the dots here. What's the science behind it? What's the psychology behind it? What, what are the, the, the social kind of etiquette and consequences behind all of this? And what I led led to was actually my life was considerably better. Mm. Literally everything had gone up. My income had gone up. My health, my well-being had gone up. My group of friends, like literally everything that I'd got rid of was just keeping me from this better life, better way of living. Um, so, yeah, so I kind of now go around and, and share this story with people and how, how it now works in a, a work context when – People are filling up their work calendars with stuff that doesn't add any value. Mm. But yeah, it's the identity that keeps them busy because if you're busy, potentially that means you're, you're in demand. You're needed. You're unique. Everyone needs your advice, Giles. Everybody. <laughs> and so I mean, that were true. <laughs> <laughs> and so we but continue yeah. on this kind of hamster wheel of busyness. Mm. 
then you throw in a pandemic, you throw in a cost of living crisis and any other crises, you just come, become busier and busier and busier. And so I've started challenging people around, is now being busy really lazy? Because it's so easy to do. Everybody that I work with is incredibly busy. And actually the ones that are kind of not as busy and they're more sustainable and they're looking at things more from a, from a sense of, why am I doing this? Does it add value? Is it useful? Is it really that important? They're the people that are now moving on and not being let, you know, not not being left behind. So yeah, so that's the kind of context I live and work in now. But I use all of that, all those DVDs, all of those shirts, the the clothes that I never wore as a kind of kind of story that leads me to where I am today. Yeah, I wonder what your views as well are from sort of like an energetic point of view because I guess all of these you know whether it be physical things that are cluttering up our homes or um, you know engagements in our calendars or relationships that maybe don't really aren't really quite right anymore I guess energetically it's all taking up space right and so if you're clearing out you've got just for example on the simplest level if you're clearing out your house and then suddenly you've got this beautiful clear space that you're living in then that sort of energetically there's definitely like a lift I think and in in similar ways like with friendships and with work commitments and stuff like that there's power in saying no there's power in like clearing the decks and then you sort of energetically create space for better stuff to come in would you agree yeah 100 100 it's why everybody that's where spring cleaning came from people felt a, a boost in energy and so whenever you have a big cleanup or you know just you just sort your mind out you, even if you write stuff down on a to-do list and you go right i get it out of my mind and onto paper mm. um people tend to feel this little surge of energy I was like, why? In my head, I'm like, why do you have to wait to be overwhelmed with stuff to go and look for that particular energy? But, mm. but yeah, there's it's there is definitely something that connects our behaviour and psychology around. If you have a a nice, clean, calm home, you're able to achieve quite a lot more. You know, messy home, messy mind, maybe. Yeah, potentially. Mm. Totally. I find that I actually like when I go around to people's houses and they live in quite a cluttered environment I don't feel very comfortable (laughs) you know it's not like I'm looking around you know looking down my nose or thinking like oh god it's disgusting but you know you kind of like sit on the edge of your seat and you just feel a bit (laughs) uncomfortable (laughs) like Ross from Friends when he has that day yeah exactly Um, that is yeah yeah. (laughs) I've got it's funny we were talking in the car on the way up here because I've got a friend I went round to a few of us went round to our friend's house on Saturday and he's just a bloke that lives like a bloke. <laughs> like He's yeah. got loads of crap that he hasn't, you know, cleared yeah. out for ages. He's one of these people that will find something or pick something up and he'll just keep it. Yeah, yeah. And he needs everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and a bunch of us were sat there like, can we come round to your house on the weekend one day and just clear this out for you, <laughs> please? Because like you're gonna love it once it's all cleared out. You're gonna it's gonna be like a whole whole new world for you. And he was oh, like, No, yeah. I don't need it. <laughs> it's like it's great. Yeah. It does feel great. And you know, I when when we have clean up and we see, let's say, space. So you've been to the tip, right? And you clear up stuff and you say, Oh, you see space. It means opportunity. But then we default to, I can fill it. Yeah. <laughs> I can fill it with something new. But actually, in the, if we just flip the mindset a little bit, it means actually that might give us a bit of time or a little bit of energy 
to do something that we have always wanted to do learn a new language go to this place do this or you know whatever it is and that's what space represented for for me and it it does represent it for a lot of other people because there's loads of studies i think the university of california did one um where they've actually spoken and um studied um women pregnant women who are living in cluttered environments and it led to there was more depression um people put on more weight when uh, they were living in cluttered environments because they were looking for the, the quick response the quick biscuit mm. um i mentioned in my book i'm like can i swear on this or yeah, yeah, yeah I'm go like clutter makes us fucking fat like that's <laughs> yeah. that's how bad it can be wow, um and there's loads of kind of uh really interesting um studies that have been done around how it can help um or it can your your mental state how there's a link to from mental clutter so all of the kind of ideas you keep in your head and how you don't get rid of them and things like that it can lead to age-related memory loss so if your mind is cluttered with maybe bad thoughts or too many things going on i'm just so cluttered in my mind all the time there has been a link to age-related memory loss that's scary. <laughs> so we should yeah. all be like meditating a little bit more and writing to-do lists and stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, if you can get it out, um, then that's a, that's a great way of moving your mind on to the next next thing. But um, that's why I love going out for walks and, and being creative in those different environments because you're allowed, you, it, it sparks different parts of the brain. And you're like, oh, that's a, I never connected those two bits of the brain. When you come home, and you write it down somewhere. My notes on my phone, it's just, that is cluttered. Mm. It's full mm. of ideas, right? But it's got it out of there and it's now it's down. So it's, so yeah, so I think Lynn Hasher, Dr. Lynn Hasher, if you're interested in the kind of age-related memory loss type stuff, mm. um, she did some studies on, on how mental clutter can lead to that. So it'd be interesting in reading. Mm, that's interesting. Um, going back to the emotional stuff, did you... Uh, when you were going through those first throws of like decluttering and getting rid of stuff, were there times where it did feel emotional for you? And if, if there were, what, what were the kind of things that um, you've talked about the football search, were there certain triggery kind of objects or things that were like, were very specifically like kind of. Yeah. Quick um, to emotion with. Yeah. So his favorite things that you, you give you things like my favorite film, or this was the first date or this was anniversaries. And I think at the end of the day, I, I made up these rules. And if I held it in my hand or I was looking at something, I was like, does it make me a better version of myself? Does it make me happy? Does it add value to my life? I don't like to use the Marie Kondo thing. Does it spark joy? Because joy <laughs> is like, I'm not running around look at, picking up a, you know, a, a spatula and going, this adds joy to my <laughs> life. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's just useful, right? Mm. Um, so I would look around and so say, does, does this help me be the person I want to be and if it didn't then I considered letting go of it so yeah there was um Ghostbusters DVD that I kept Aww. <laughs> original well, Ghostbusters original yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um yeah it was that was one I was like I'm keeping that one and there was a few other little bits and pieces like there was favorite items of clothing that I I kept and and things like that but I would say out of everything I had at that time I'd say about 80% of it was gone within six months um, and then once I got back from traveling, um, maybe another five to 10% of that was gone as well. Um, so yeah, so there definitely was some items that I picked up and I was like, I can't, it's going to be a real, real struggle. And that's completely fine. Leave it. 
if it adds that if it adds that much value to your life keep it so they, I kind of set those rules early mm. and when I speak to people I'm like set your own rules you know maybe even if you've not used something in two years then you can start to question it and go why have I why have I still got my Mickey Mouse uh, you know fancy dress costume <laughs> why have I <laughs> yeah well there we go are we waiting for something to happen you know what what, what is going to happen um, and what I found is the stuff that I did keep just in case I didn't need anyway like I didn't maybe maybe a, a battery I'll just go to the shop and buy another battery so so yeah so the just in case bit did pop up but yeah in my in my kind of view of the world it's almost like if it's really adds that much value to your life and it's that emotional connection yeah keep it yeah I do it where whenever I'm going through like clothes and stuff I if I pick something out and I'm like right I haven't worn this in like two years. If I don't wear it again in the next six months, I will throw it away. And then I come back in six months time and I haven't. And what normally happens is then I'm like, okay, well maybe another six another months. Six months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not the right season. Or pushing, <laughs> push, pushing the date back. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Rewrite the rules, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess apart from the emotional stuff, I guess it's probably quite common for people also to put off clearing out because they don't have time. You know, they've got work and kids and like the busy busy life going on have you got any advice for people perhaps like families who live you know it's easy like for me for example I live on my own it's easy for me to live like a a monk <laughs> a monk a buddhist even <laughs> I don't know <laughs> there was a slip there it's to live like a buddhist uh, you just like meditate all day and stuff but people that have you know nine to five jobs and partners and and kids running around what advice would you give for those people that that are struggling to kind of like work their th- way through all the mess, yeah, I definitely. It's not you don't have to do like the big purge like I did because similar to you, Sophie, I lived on my own at the time and I had the time at the weekend and to to actually do that. But it's the incremental bits. Let's say start with a drawer that you normally go to, maybe cutlery drawer, right? Do you do you need forty knives? <laughs> Do you, do you need 45 spoons? Like, just start questioning the things around your environment, you know, whether that is the home, whether that is the office. Just the mindset shift first. That's what I've always kind of led to believe in and think that people will, will do a lot better that way. And it's just very incremental. And over time, you'll start to realise that, oh, well, it's been six months and I've thrown out a skip of stuff. Mm. So, you know, little things like you know, all of the mail that just sends up piling up on a kitchen table somewhere. You know, it takes maybe half a minute to open it. it. What's what's really important? What do I really need to keep? You probably don't need to keep that bank statement. All the seven years of bank statements you've kept up in the loft. You probably don't need to keep this week's, you know, Croydon local. You're probably going to not look at it. And so these types of questions that we start to ask ourselves when around our environment, they really add a lot of value. And then you start to kind of go, oh, yeah, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna use that. And whilst you're doing your busy life, you know, you're looking after the kids and running here, there, everywhere, you'll start to do one or two little things, and that will start to grow. Before you know it, you're living a, a more minimalist and simplistic life. Well, you obviously use the word minimalist there. Obviously, being a minimalist or living a minimalist life is different to just decluttering your yeah. loft or whatever. Yeah. So. Can you sort of explain a little bit about what that entails? And I guess it doesn't just mean 
like getting rid of a few stuff at home it yeah, means yeah, yeah. living an entire life around this concept so yeah. how does that look how's that you know what's the logistics of that yeah so so you're right Giles the, the almost like the act of decluttering is is just a practical step but the minimalist kind of lifestyle that you've you might have heard of it's more of a, a case of how do I live so not just the one and done decluttering part is how do I live and so it is similar to everything in life your friends your social media everything that you interact with does it add value to your life does it make you better is it useful do you get enjoyment from it if you do great keep it the rest of the stuff around the edges is up for a coal and it's up for you to to create those rules i mean i i even did uh, my instagram account recently ditched about 40 accounts that are either not around anymore or don't add any value. And I added a couple that do. I love dog memes. <laughs> love them. I've got a dog at home and I love watching what my dog does and love watching what other people's dogs do. Right? I get great enjoyment out of that. Does that make me feel better? Yes, it does. So it so it is allowed into my life. Similarly with like um friends, you know, if you if you've got friends and, and loved ones that are almost like a bit toxic, how can you learn to love them from afar? And so not actually like decluttering human beings, but mm. how can you almost like, how can you evolve your lifestyle? So it includes things that are only adding value to your life. So that's my kind of version of having this minimalist lifestyle. It moves away from the physical stuff into literally everything. You know, the things you eat, the career you have, um, the places you go, where you spend your resources, not just your money, but your time, your attention, your energy, because they're all finite. And I don't want to waste any more of those resources on stuff that I had done in the previous kind of 36, 37, 38 years. Um, and so, yeah, so that's how I kind of lived a minimalist life. Mm. I guess with, you know, talking about friendships and the people in your life that might not necessarily be adding value and maybe starting to, I don't want to say push people away, but, you know, like it's, it's more about setting boundaries, isn't it? And I guess you say you could say some people are really good at setting boundaries with friends or work colleagues or business, uh, you know, arrangements and stuff like that, but neglect the boundaries that they set with themselves, which is probably where a lot of this sort of stuff comes in. You know, are you setting these boundaries with yourself? Are you clearing out your social media or are you sitting there for like five hours every evening yeah. just scrolling and watching reels and memes and stuff because you haven't set that boundary with yourself. Like I need to clear clear out my mm. Instagram followers and and only let stuff in that's adding something to my life, right? Yeah, yeah. These I'm, I'm working a lot with um, with senior leaders and execs in the corporate space around boundaries mm. at the moment. Um, and we have this thing called what I like to call the the hero complex. We love to help, and that is kind of our innate response we're social creatures right we love to help people and that is great that's completely fine but when it starts to then overtake your ability to help yourself that's when you need to kind of create boundaries and what we've used as as kind of experiments is starting to say no to people and so when someone asks you giles sophie i'd love to get your advice probably more giles (laughs) (laughs) and it's usually me asking him (laughs) i'd love to get your advice yeah this is uh (laughs) 
nothing. Giles is, is good, like, I need good, to start saying boundaries. To, yeah, good, this is a good time to tell you, Sophie. Intervention. Like, I've, I've, I've unfollowed you. <laughs> none taken, um, none taken. Um, and so, yeah, so we, we're experimenting with how, you know, how do you say no to someone and stop being the hero so you can create these boundaries? And what we found is that um, people find it incredibly difficult to not help someone let's put in a work context for example um and there's a couple of reasons for this is the same chemical cocktail as if we were to get a like on social media or someone praises us is the same as when you go giles i need your advice it feels good so if you get an email that says help me i need your i need your help of course we're going to drop everything else that was already important and we're already doing deep work and that's to go and help someone and so we tried to, to support our senior leaders by going, what if you were to say no, but do it in a kind way by asking better questions? Why, why have you come to me now? And what have you already tried? And generally, people don't really tried anything because they want the quickest way to the, the answer. And what we do as heroes, we will serve that. And so both parties will get their quick win. I will get to play the hero because I've given you the advice and the person asking the question will get what they wanted, which was the answer. Mm. In two weeks later, that will come back again and again and again and again. And people then say, why have I not got time? Is because you're, you're saving everybody all the time. You're, you're rescuing them. And so we, we tried to implement these things, you know, ask more questions. What have you already tried? And could you try, so I trust you to figure it out. If you're really stuck in a week's time, come back to me. Generally, people find that they've figured it out or mm. they can't be asked to wait for you yeah, <laughs> to respond. Yeah, exactly. It's funny. I've got a few friends who are sort of like um, in a leadership role in some in some way. And they were saying that since COVID and having to work from home, it's a lot better for them because when you're in the same working environment, you're physically in the same office as someone, it's really quick to just nip over and be like, oh, could you help me with this? But yeah. if they yeah. have to like email you and wait for you to get back to them, then they generally yeah. tend to use their common sense. And they're like, a lot of the, the questions they're asking for help on are stuff they could just figure out themselves. But they're like, nah, yeah. just ask. I'll ask them. They're only next door sort of thing. Yeah. It's yeah. No, these types of things. And, you know, over time, they take up a lot of people's time and energy. The interruptions, I you probably, you guys probably know about like interruptions. It can cause up to like a twenty-minute delay to, to get refocused back in the thing you were doing. Yeah. If you add those up throughout the week, that might be one of the reasons why you're overworking, which then has an impact on your ability to have good relationships with your friends, your family, your eating habits, you know, your social habits. All of these types of things are overworking because sometimes we we don't have the ability to say no to people. Mm, I th- I feel like saying no to social things because we've we've got a friend, haven't we, who just became overwhelmed not because of work but because she was just saying yes to every social engagement, right? And and just became completely burnt out from that. I think she has a really really sociable husband, so and she's like a little bit more introvert, but she sort of felt like she had to sort of say yes to everything as well. And it's, yeah, it takes a toll and it can be really hard. So what kind of advice would you give to people when setting boundaries with friends and family and saying that, you know, or or if someone is quite toxic or is just asking too much of you all the time and you feel like you're always giving yourself to people, how can you do that in a loving way without coming across as just 
sort of passive aggressive or ghosting people and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. I always like to think of the um, oxygen mask analogy. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, I need to give myself space. I need to look after myself. And then I can serve everybody else or I can be the best version. Because if I keep going to all these social things all the time, I'm a 50% version of myself. I'm a 40% next week. If I keep going every day, it's gradually getting worse and I'm going to be an absolute bore. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a pain in the ass, <laughs> and I'm going to moan the whole time we're there and I don't want to do that and you don't want me there doing that. To, you know, I want to be, I want to enjoy it and sometimes I need to go and sit in a dark corner for a couple of days. So let me be in the dark corner for a couple of days and I'll come out and you'll see this version of me that, the, the real version of, the, you know, why we're friends. So yeah, I've I've used that a couple of times. I've gone no, no, I want to hang out with my dog. <laughs> <laughs> but then next time you see me in a couple of days, I'm gonna be bang on form. I have loads of stories to tell you. you know, I'm gonna be one. I'm gonna be wanting that social interaction. Um, but maybe maybe it's a little bit of a hangover from COVID where we didn't have that social interaction, and now we're kind of squeezing it all in as much as we can. Mm. Oh god, yeah. And a lot of people, I think, realised how much they loved just being at home yep. <laughs> like me yeah. <laughs> so yeah now when when you are allowed to like go out and see people I think some people kind of like I don't want to <laughs> mm. <laughs> I don't need to yeah the world's changed the world has mm. changed um I was just thinking about the benefits um of minimalism and decluttering has on other people in your life as well not yeah. just the impact it has on yourself We've talked on the podcast before about um, things like Swedish death cleans. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, you know, you obviously declutter your house and tidy and get rid of stuff so that, you know, your loved ones will not be given that burden after you've passed, perhaps. And then obviously I don't want to go as morbid as that. But I think on a day-to-day kind of basis, you declaring yourself, obviously you've given them them more of your time. Yeah. But then, you know, in in a general, you know, what are the the other benefits to others from living this lifestyle? Um, well, my my friends and family have got a version of me now that is not bored and moaning and playing the victim all the time. They've got this version of me now that is considerably happier, um, always looking for the next adventure, always looking to, you know, do something social. Let's go out and let's take some risks, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's got this, you know, everyone's kind of got this version of, of me now, which is good. Um, my family... Um, so yeah, so when I do pass on, I literally have nothing. Now I've nothing left, so <laughs> that'll be a piece of cake. Um, my mum and dad, on the other hand, are the complete opposite. Mm. And I joke with my dad every time I go into his garage, and he goes, "One day this will all be yours to sort out." <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, thanks, mate. Um, well, you're an expert, so you're exactly you, can, you can figure all this everything out." Everything the light touches is yours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I think, you know, the, the compound effect that it has on on the people that you surround yourself with, it really does um, inspire them. And, and, you know, it's a bit cringe and I get humbled a lot by people just sending me messages saying, I heard your story or I read your story and this is what I've done off the back of it. And it's still I'm still fathom to this day that people have changed their lives because of a few DVDs I got rid of. Mm. Right? It's just baffling to me that I can have that impact on someone but it's time for me to own it you know and so that's what I'm kind of going out and helping coach more people and teams and go out and speaking and things like that because now I realize that there's power Mm. in the story and so I feel like it's a bit of responsibility now for me to share that 
story so everyone else can live a little bit happier and not let their clutter get in the way of the person they want to be and the things they want to go do and you've seen in mainstream media you know you've got the Stacey Solomon program that came out last my year my wife's addicted to it <laughs> right yeah, we were talking <laughs> yeah. about it in the car on there's the way loads, out there's loads there's loads it's like there's loads on Netflix like Life Edit and you know these are really fascinating programs now um even Antiques Roadshow right if you go back all those years yeah, yeah. and you still watch that and people what are people looking for they're people looking for new information so they can make a new decision on their life how much is this trinket worth it's worth 15 grand and they go, what are you going to do with it now? And I'm like, please sell it. Please sell <laughs> yeah, it. Your I kids know. are going to uni. Yeah. And they're going, I'm going to make sure that my insurance is... Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but each <laughs> their own. But like people, we're looking for, you know, new information that we can make better and new, new rules. And so I'm just going out and giving people a lot of new information through telling stories, uh, a little bit of laugh here and there. And then they can go and almost implement that in their own unique way. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Tell us a bit about your book, The Discovery of Less. Discovery of Less. Um, yeah. Yeah. Was it an enjoyable process to write? I mean, obviously, Mate, you, you tell me. You've, you've written some. <laughs> <laughs> I find writing hard. Um, but yeah, obviously, you know, going into it, you've touched on that earlier that you didn't maybe have the confidence, maybe a bit of imposter yeah. syndrome around yeah. it. Um, so yeah, how, how, how did it, how did you find the process? Yeah, it was all right actually. Um, a lot. No, I'm lying. It was really hard. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it was really hard. Um, I'd written some articles before and I, I almost thought, have I got an article f- for a chapter here? Can I, can I long this story out long enough to make it a chapter? I kind of, but that was my, uh, my tactic. And I put a first draft together and then I, I got an editor to come in and have a look at it and he went, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> I went, this is me bearing my soul. And he went, he goes, there's a great story here. You've just never written to this length before. And I was like, no, I haven't. And so what I was basically doing was I did this and then this happened and mm. I did this and this. Mm. Is, and he goes, you've got to like, how did you wake up? Like you woke up, did you have a pain in your shoulder? Like, what was it? Was it cold? Was it warm? What was, what woke up? And so I started to, you know, describe things in a lot more detail. And as I started to do that, the writing got considerably better. Um, but you might find this when you're writing stuff is you've heard how other people that have gone before you have written books. So you kind of go, well, that's the way you do it. So I got writer's block and I was apparently, it was like, just keep writing, just write through it, which was the fucking worst thing I could have done because I just ended up writing more shit. Mm. Yeah. And so I'd stopped, went outside for a walk or I would do something else. And then a couple of days later, I'll come back and I'm like, right. And write loads of really good stuff. And so I had to evolve the way I wrote. Um, but once I put it all together, I was really proud of the finished article. And even then I thought, this is just a nice bit for my mates. It's just a book. I can say I've written a book. Here I go, mates. Here I go. <laughs> Have a read. There's a few lols in there. Some really random references that the odd person will get. Um, but there's a few laughs and, you know, and that's it. And then, you know, first couple of people read it and I was like, oh, this is inspiring. I'm like, uh okay it wasn't what <laughs> it i was wasn't, thinking <laughs> wasn't meant to, it meant to be like that and that's why i've had to learn giles how to kind of play the role of storyteller and use the what i like to call the 49 percent idiocy of myself and connect the science behind why i do what i do and why we do what we do and, and tell random stories behind it so 
I I really did find that book writing enjoyable to a point. Then I found it really tough. Um, going independent was another thing as well. Like because I did have some trad offers, but as a first time author, I thought I want to have a bit more control. Mm. Um, and so I did that, and then realised that that was a, an interesting way to to publish books. And I've kind of figured out how to do that. Um, have you done an audio book version of yours yet? Uh, one of my books I have done an audio book, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was that was interesting because I always thought, thought, obviously I do lots of podcasts and yeah, stuff. I yeah. thought, oh, this would be fine. Easy, piece of cake, yeah. Oh, I was so terrible. Yeah. It took da- like t- two <laughs> days to do mine because I just keep messing it up. I keep fucking it up every sentence. I was like, oh, we're going to have to do that again. Yeah. Just oh, yeah. Couldn't, couldn't speak. Yeah, it was so <laughs> it was so bizarre because I went and did three days of a audio book. It's about seven hours. And after about four hours, I'm like, oh, I'm fucking bored of my own voice. Yeah. You know? I'm like, how would someone want to listen to me for seven hours? And he's kind of semi-skim, diluted Cockney tones, walking a, walking someone through you know, a, a trip around the world and, and things like that. But it's still, to this day, I get messages every week going, just listen to seven hours of you. I'm like, oh, God bless you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you think you're going to even lay down for a bit. And like, no, I loved it. Um, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is, yeah. So there was something there. Yeah. Um, I've been kind of pushed to do a, another one, which I'm kind of waiting on at the moment because... Well, we've obviously given you the title for it. So there we go. Yeah, right. yeah. There we go. <laughs> Love, Love it or lose it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I, I really yeah. did enjoy it. It was tough. But, again, it was another one of those things that if you don't do hard things, like, you're never really going to evolve... Mm. Um, well and I, I would argue like th- to, obviously talking to you now today and talking about the things we're talking about I would say that every time I've written something it is a cathartic experience where you yeah. are kind of letting go of stuff yeah, you know yeah. you are letting go of emotions or you know all that particular story you know if it's yeah. a fictional work so yeah, there is a there is a certain kind of I love the link pal- yeah well there's a I love yeah, the link a, yeah, I see what you little, did there I see what um, you did there there is something there, I think, that is like alongside what you've been talking about. I think oh, yeah. We do give away stuff in our in, in any kind of form of creativity. We're giving yeah. away something of ourselves. I, I, I totally agree. And there were bits in there where I was like, I don't know if I want to share this. Mm. But I've gone this far, I might as well. Um, you know, and almost you know, not, not be embarrassed by sharing, like, that I had loads of debt by buying shit that I didn't need. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not be embarrassed by it and just being all right and letting go of that. And it turns out everything's fine. <laughs> it's a good point actually because actually that's another area of decluttering we we often don't think about is the financial decluttering and often I think when you do get into a bad place financially when we had um financial advisor uh, Peter Comalafe on yeah. and um yeah it's we were talking about how you just don't even like look at your bank statements anymore yeah, you just avoid it bury your head in the sand you've got credit cards and loans and like debt coming out of all these different places and sometimes even just I mean obviously I'm not a financial advisor but for me like in the past when I was in debt I just consolidated it all and I knew it was just one place that debt was coming from yeah and it is it's like a bit of decluttering in that way it's again is this kind of minimalist mindset can go across all areas and um there's more research I think it was by eBay is it eBay or compare the market one of the two um, it said that roughly in each house in the UK, you've got about 1,500 quid's worth of shit that you don't need or don't use. So if you think about maybe your own garage or shed or your friends and families get loft or something like that, there's stuff up there mm. or in there or out there that is 
taking up space that someone else would probably want and the impact that that can have on the climate because someone else doesn't have to buy new mm. or have to you know produce something else is fascinating you know I, I've a friend of mine um he read the book and he went right I'm going to change my life and he met his partner who had a house had kids uh, family and he had the same so they got together, so they got two houses and two houses worth of stuff. Mm. All right, I'm going to move everything in. And he was like, well, no, because she's already got sofa. And so I was like, right, so what are you going to do with it? And he's like, I'm going to put it in storage. Okay. Um, for, for how long? And he's like, oh, I, yeah, I don't know why I've done that. So was, that sounds almost like I'm waiting for this relationship not to work out. <laughs> yeah, the just in case bit, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. And so he put his stuff in storage and paying however much it was per month. We had a chat and then the month after he rung me up and he said, um, oh, I've just donated everything to, to the British Heart Foundation. I was like, good for you. Mm. He went, did you know that they email you once they've sold the stuff? I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've got a few emails from them. He went, oh, apparently my stuff earned like 250 quid for them. I was like, there you go, mate. There is you making an impact in your community, in your society by letting go of your stuff. So the dots connecting here, right? You're saving money by not storing the stuff. The stuff that you did have that you weren't using has gone to people that need it and want it. And now also because he's gone to a charity, that charity has now put some money aside to research heart disease. Mm. That is how much of an impact your stuff that you don't use can have in society. Uh, and then you've got the climate. Mm add-on as well by the person who bought the reused stuff not needing to buy something new and having it recreated so and so yeah it was fascinating to to hear him share that story um, and I've done that a couple more times recently when you know I've just gone through I'll have a li- another little declutter and send some stuff off to the British Heart Foundation and they've messaged back saying 20 quid we got for your but I'm like 20 quid towards mm. you know paying someone to research and to make the world a better place. Mm, so yeah. that's how I kind of... And, and also the people that can't, possibly can't afford to buy something brand new, yeah. they're also benefiting because then they've got a nice new product item that yeah. they don't have to buy brand new. Yeah, well. exactly. Yeah, so the financial part of it is is huge. You've probably got stuff in your home that you can let go of that will add value. Uh, you know, we were in a cost of living crisis and we still are to a certain degree. If you've got stuff inside your home that you're not using, that could potentially, you know, pay your electricity for six months or, you know, something along those lines. So question everything around your environment. Does it add value? And if it doesn't, then potentially it could be up for a coal. Well, Chris, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you today. Oh, no, thank, thank you so you much for coming on. There's so many takeaways, I'm sure, for all our listeners to pleasure. go and uh, have a rifle through their stuff and see what they don't actually definitely need and um yeah good luck with the book and um can't wait to read love it or lose it <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys appreciate Giles is it. emotionally attached to I that am. now he, his identity <laughs> is attached to that title <laughs> cheers chris thank you oh, thanks chris thank you for listening to unquestionable We'd love to hear from you on social media by searching for Unquestionable Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.